Hey, welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon, and my co-host, as always, joining me on the other line, it's Rory Boylan. How are you holding up, friend? How are you and your family doing? Not bad. Rainy days are no fun. We definitely need the nicer weather to be able to get outside uh, with Claire, our lovely little 15-month-old baby, because... Those hour-long walks, maybe even a couple, really, really go a long way toward maintaining sanity, I find. So we were cooped up on Monday. It wasn't very nice here. But other than that, we've been holding up okay. How are you guys doing? Yep, um, basically the same. Yeah, my 20-month-old daughter is ripping everything down that she can get her hands on these days. So yeah, yeah, that's how it goes. And uh, of course, my wife is in the final stages of her latest pregnancy here. So now we're... At this time for our first one, Ryan, her water had broken. We were in the hospital, so we're kind of in any time now mode here. And then, and then we get to do with that. <laughs> you're playing with house money. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, we've got a lot ahead here on Tape to Tape. We're going to be joined by Sportsnet's Luke Fox. He's going to talk about a few things he's written recently on Sportsnet.ca. He had one piece where he was speculating a little bit about what might be in store for 2020 UFAs versus guys who were eligible to become UFAs but re-upped during the season before uh, COVID-19 came to uh, run or hijack all of our lives here. In keeping with that, um, be interesting to see what might happen in terms of compliance buyouts and if that is something that could come back into effect. And we're also going to get Luke to talk about some of the Toronto Maple Leafs prospects. This is going to be a prospect-heavy podcast. There are the ones you know about, or the one you certainly know about. Nick Robertson, at this point, really made a big name for himself in the in the OHL, but uh, Luke's going to highlight a couple of other guys who maybe aren't generating as much of the headlines that Robertson is. And in keeping with that, Roar, you and I wanted to go across the rest of the Canadian teams instructed our awesome beat guys to uh, come up with some prospect material this week. Some of it is already up there. We've had Wayne Scanlon talking about the Ottawa Senators, and these guys are highlighting guys who are um, you know, intriguing for one reason or another. Maybe they're on the precipice of making it. Maybe they're just guys who've really kind of come out of nowhere, and even if they're not knocking on the door, all of a sudden it looks like they have a future. I would say one of the guys who really fits that description who Wayne was talking about with the Ottawa Senators is Josh Norris. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, I think wasn't viewed as an integral part of the deal that sent Eric Carlson to San Jose. But um, after uh, some injury concerns and and shoulder surgery, suddenly looks like a real player at Belleville. Yeah, I mean, he leads their AHL team in scoring this year better than a point-per-game guy. And you know, there's a reason why he's the one that Wayne really focused in on. You mentioned his injury that kept him out of a ton of games. He was not able to even be in contact drills uh, for the Senators' June development camp last summer. Um, but it's interesting because he is performing at the AHL level. Very little NHL exposure, just three games in the big league this year. But it was worth noting that when he did get that call up, he was being used in big minutes. He was getting top six exposure he wasn't just up playing fourth line and here here's some minutes kid uh get your experience and you'll be back on the bus before long like they were using him in a way that he'll probably end up being used when he does get to the nhl but i think it's just very notable and how he's bounced back 
from that year. It's his first full pro year. Just fantastic performance. There, there's a lot of really good stories off of that Belleville AHL team this year for the Senators. And it's just all of it together is making for, you know, before this pause, before this shutdown, what was a pretty positive season of developments for the Ottawa Senators, considering where they are at in, in terms of their development as an organization. And Josh Norris leads that. Like you mentioned, he wasn't the big piece coming back in the Carlson trade. But the more this goes on, the more it's looking like the Senators are going to come out way ahead uh, on that deal. And the final piece of it is going to be put into place whenever we get this draft done and they're able to use that first-round selection from the San Jose Sharks. Lots of reason for optimism for Ottawa in terms of the young guys already there or coming up. Some would say the same for Montreal. Certainly the the prospect cupboard has been padded a lot in the past couple drafts. One guy I thought I'd zoom in on is Jesse Alonen. Eric Engels was writing about the fact that Cole Caulfield, who would be the top prospect in the Canadian system, played at Wisconsin this year, the tiny sniper and has decided to go back to Wisconsin next season for another year in the NCAA. Probably a prudent call there as a really small guy who will have an opportunity to get stronger. But Engels was mentioning that perhaps the door opened a little bit for Yelonen, a Finnish player drafted a couple of years ago by the Canadians in the second round in 2018. He has had, uh, since the time he was drafted, had a little bit of a run-in with the injury bug, if I'm not mistaken, but there are some high hopes or at least some reason for intrigue with this player and maybe a little more so now that there could be an opening or at least less competition for a spot because I think there was a time odds were he would come out of college and potentially step right into the Canadians lineup next October. Now that that does not appear to be the case, Yelonen might be able to wedge himself in there and compete for a job after playing in Finland against men, right? I mean, it's always a different situation when you're coming from those European leagues where, you know, he was in there as a 19-year-old playing against really high-level pros, guys 10 years his senior. So that might give him a leg up. Yeah, I mean, you always want to see the guys perform pretty well. The Finnish league really needs to be held up high as, you know, if you play well there as a teenager and you come to the NHL, you generally transition pretty well. So that we've seen Yelonen put up 27 and then 22 points in a couple of 53 game seasons in a row, you know, those just raw numbers don't really jump off the page at you. But again, for a guy who was, I guess he would have been 19 and 20, uh, those are pretty good rates for someone at that age playing against men. Like this is one of the best leagues in the world it's it's going to be his place in that lineup next year is really going to be dictated by whatever happens on the free agent market this year right like I think at this point a lot of people are expecting Ilya Kovalchuk to come back to Montreal I think that would be the what everybody is hoping for at this point and then so that's one spot that's taken and then from there you wonder what else do they do I mean You've got a GM that's probably going to be feeling that hot seat next year. You can't go on that much longer without making it to the playoffs. Probably if he doesn't make it next year, he's gone. So he's going to feel a little bit of motivation. Although he's never really acted in the moment like that with that pressure. He's always had that long-term look. Again, like we've kind of touched on it, looking at some of these other prospects, a couple of guys that I highlighted that I'm just kind of interested in. And that, that was the task I gave the writers We'll see the rest of them unfold in the next week is five guys in the system that you were 
in, interested in or intrigued by, somebody that captures your attention. And I think another one we're all looking at now that the KHL season has been canceled is Alexander Romanov, the czar for the Canadians as well. Like that's a guy I think that he's probably got a pretty decent shot to make the Canadians – uh, next year as well, and and that that he might be a guy that they could use, and he's not a big guy, five eleven, but um, again, he played pretty well in the KHL this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think he's all but penciled in because they have such need on the left side. I think he will essentially show up to training camp with a spot on the third pair carved out. I mean, there's obviously lots that can happen there, but. I think the sense is he is an, an NHL ready guy. He's not going to blow anyone's mind with offensive numbers, but he's going to come in and play hard. And I think there's some hope that there might be a little more offensive game as yet untapped right there. But I get the sense the chatter around that player for a long time uh, since they drafted him in the second round has been that he should be someone who, when he comes over, it will be to play with a big club. So we'll see exactly how that works out. You mentioned uh, the Finnish league being such a good league when we were talking about Yelonen. Vili Hanola, another guy who uh, is not the biggest guy in the world, but since the Jets drafted him in the first round last year, he's really looked like a shrewd pick. Of course, got a cup of coffee in the NHL. I really think he's just a guy who... It's an issue of just getting strong enough to play in the NHL, but he's another one. I, I suspect he will land in Winnipeg, hopefully in, in September for a training camp, you know, basically with a spot carved out for him. And, and it's really interesting to see how quickly in the aftermath of that blue line being decimated by the departures last summer, you look at the step that Neil Pionk has made. If, if Hanola steps in there and is just a smart, shrewd, decision maker back there puck mover he's not going to help with the size deficiency but he's going to be another piece that really helps that blue line rebound quicker yeah and it's telling too that he you know how often does a defenseman picked 20th overall get eight nhl games in his in his yeah. first eligible season right like that that says a lot but where he's at and he got five points in those eight games too so you know he wasn't just hanging on there and then he goes back to finland and, and he had a pretty good season there what's interesting to me there is winnipeg has a pretty strong draft history but it's almost all forwards outside of the first round defenseman like josh morrissey jacob truba like you got a lot of forwards who you get after the first round that end up hitting, and it's less so for defensemen. So I'm looking for – I'm expecting Hainola to get a really long look and possibly even make that team uh, next year. Like you said, they got so hammered, they, they've got to fill holes somehow. But you've got another defenseman this year um, in the OHO with the Peterborough Peets, Declan Chisholm. This would have been his – draft year plus two so he was a 20 year old which is you know he scored 69 points in 59 games which is a good number but again you gotta look at it through the lens of he was 20 he's two years after his draft year so you know you you better be performing at that time or you don't have any nhl upside to you really um but again like he's got that strong offensive end to his game i think his defensive side has been knocked a little bit in the past but can he bring some of that to the next level? Not that I'm expecting Chisholm to be an NHL player next year. He's, he's going to go to the AHL for probably a couple of years at first. But I think, especially now, with the strain that has been put on that position in the organization, now we've got to start finding these guys that they've drafted 
late in the first round or outside of the first round to start making. Like a guy they took a swing on a couple of years ago because they had two first-round picks in that draft year was Logan Stanley, a hulking defenseman out of the OHL, a huge guy um, that I think a lot of people thought might even slip to the second round. But they got him, and they've had him kind of slowly cooking um, on his way up. Is he a guy that can maybe make that that team out of camp next year? You've got to start making some progress uh, with the guys that they've taken, the defensemen that they've taken outside of the first round, because they still have a number of forwards that are on the way. Christian Veselainen and David Gustafson got some games in this year. There's no shortage of forwards. They've got to start developing those defensemen now. And watch out for goalie Mikhail Burden, a guy who loves trying to score into the empty net. He's already done it in, I think it was the USHL, and uh, yes, he's a yeah. bit of a classic goalie character who, uh, who knows, might be a backup sooner or later. Uh, we're going to save all the Leaf talk for Luke Fox in case anyone is wondering. We want to get to Luke quickly here. So Rory, I'm going to let you whiz through the rest of the Western teams, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Uh, what do you see in terms of intriguing guys for one reason or another with those clubs? Um, so in Vancouver, I think the guy right now is, is Vasily Pod Colson. He's still got a year left on his KHL contract. So there's no chance that he's coming to Vancouver next year, but his season was really interesting. Eight points in 30 KHL regular season games doesn't look all that great, but you got to consider that he almost got no ice time in the first half of that season, which is kind of how it goes for young Russian players in the KHL. After he came back from the world juniors though, his ice time started to tick up over 12 minutes per game. And he got eight of all eight of those points in his last 15 regular season games. And then he scored three points in four playoff games until the KHL playoffs got canceled. So he was really turning a corner there uh, when he started to get more ice time. His strength was always, well, his physical strength and his defensive game. So if his offense is actually going to be tapped there, and by the time he gets to Vancouver, he's got a year and a half of steady KHL usage under his belt. I mean, he could come in with a force and be a huge addition to that team a year from now. Um, in Edmonton, they just signed Raphael Lavoie to an entry-level contract. Again, a guy probably not going to crack that team next year, but an interesting player in that he was, for most of his draft year, projected as a first-round pick, and he kept kind of falling and falling and falling and, and ultimately got picked high in the second round by the Oilers. But his strength is his goal scoring. And how many times have we seen guys who have been knocked for this reason or that reason, whatever it is, fall over the first round, maybe even out of the second round. But if they have that cornerstone of just being able to put the puck in the net, those guys go on to become good NHL players. And they're not all the same. Like Alex DeBrincat is not the same player as Raphael Lavoie, but it's the same kind of thing, right? He always had good offensive numbers and he was never considered a high prospect. He gets to the NHL and, and he hits. Like Lavoie has that natural ability to put the puck in the back of the net. So if he does end up with the Oilers in, in two or three years and he's playing with Connor McDavid or Leon Treisaitl or, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins, I mean, that the, the potential for him to hit is absolutely huge there. And, and Calgary, I didn't really go with one of their big guys. Goalies are voodoo. We've said it's talked about all the time. And you look at one of the guys they got in the seventh round, Dustin Wolf is just a really intriguing prospect to me. His last two years in the WHL for the Everett Silver Tips, he had save percentages of nine. Uh, 36 and 935. The year before that, he was the backup to Carter Hart, who is a huge prospect for the Philadelphia uh, Flyers. Wolf's kind of average size, six foot guy, 
Um, he played back up to another big name prospect goalie at the WJC for the Americans, Spencer Knight. So he's always kind of been in the shadow of somebody else, but his numbers back it up. And he, again, with a great season that he had this year, um, you wonder when he makes that step, what he's going to do. And if he's more of a fast track, I mean, Calgary, I mean, they have David Riddick, but he was starting to slip and you were getting into a bit of a goalie controversy dynamic there heading into the playoffs between uh, Riddick and Cam Talbot. So there's no long-term fix there. And you wonder how long it would take a guy like Wolf with his track record, how many years in the AHL would really need him to take uh, to find out what is actually there in terms of NHL potential. Can't talk about all these prospects without thinking about the fact there will not be Memorial Cup this year, one of the many major sporting bummers uh, that have just become a reality. Too bad. It's always such a great tournament, super fun, and seeing how amped up those kids get for that event every year. We will certainly miss that. All right, stick around for more on Tape to Tape. We're going to bring in Luke Fox to talk about what could be a crazy offseason whenever it hits and some Toronto Maple Leafs prospects. More to come on Tape to Tape. Hey, pleased to be joined now by Sportsnet senior writer. He covers the NHL. He covers the Leafs. It is Luke Fox. Luke, what room are you in today? Oh, I'm in. I'm stuffed in my basement because I got my nine-year-old upstairs. Hopefully, doing homework, but probably not. <laughs> and, and my wife on in the kitchen doing her work. So uh, we try to get stuff done during the day, and then. Pizza parties in uh, nice. old old 80s movies at night. I introduced my son to Adventures in Babysitting. Ah, nice. The, wow. the Elizabeth Shoe classic. Yep. Hey, <laughs> you know what? My wife and I have a tradition of before we go a place, we watch movies that are based in that city. And I was like, ah. a couple years ago, we went to Chicago. And I was like, probably haven't seen Adventures in Babysitting since about 89, I'm going to say. And I was like, let's give it a shot. It was still worth a few laughs. I love the scene where they go into the Blues Club and Elizabeth Shue, she yeah. can carry the whole thing. Yeah, it holds up. It holds up. Well, you still hold up because you're doing all kinds of work up at sportsnet.ca during this uh, bizarro moment. want to ask you a bit about uh, some of the stuff you've been writing, including some prospect stuff for the lease. But let's just start with free agency. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying we don't know how things are going to roll out uh, the free agency period, you know, who knows, it may end up being a condensed two-week period uh, at the start of September. But what is it you were theorizing a bit about in terms of guys who've already signed long-term deals versus what guys who are set to become UFAs in 2020, you know, how the differences might shake out there? Yeah, well, I just I just feel like with the new economic landscape and the and the idea of a flattened cap or even a lower cap just based on our new economic reality that the irony in this offseason is that the guys who didn't push till Canada Day might end up winning out in the long run in terms of term and dollars you know the guys that that didn't you know roll the dice and keep negotiations live or wanting to see what was on the other side of the curtain during the the courting period guys like taylor hall tory krug alex petrangelo who um you know decided not to 
to dive deep into extension talks and, and wanted to see what they could get on July one um, may end up losing out versus the guys who, who did sign earlier on, like, uh, you know, Pajot knocked his deal out of the park. Chris Kreider did very well for himself. Uh, and those were just, you know, a few weeks before the season hit pause and, and COVID became more of a reality on, on this side of the pond. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. And if playing the waiting game, the way it worked so well for a guy like John Tavares a couple of years ago might actually backfire on this free agencies class. And you can just really chalk it up to bad luck. And regarding that reality, if that's the case, do both the GMs and the free agents decide not to go for such long-term deals? Maybe they decide to go shorter term um, in, in light of the fact that, you know, the NHL's cap picture, its economic picture, the Canadian dollar, all that stuff um, seems to be uh, in flux for, for the next couple of years. So um, it'll be interesting to see if some guys go shorter term than they normally would. It's a really interesting exercise because you are still going to have teams, assuming the cap stays flat, even if it were to drop a million or two, that there are still going to be teams that will have cap space. Like you're looking at Colorado and in almost any circumstance, they're going to have some room to work with. Montreal will probably have some room to work with. And then teams that are, you know, that they've got a long, longer road ahead of them, Ottawa, Los Angeles, maybe Detroit, like those teams, it'll be interesting to see how much they may change the market. Or to your point, Luke, like does a guy like Alex Petrangelo do something crazy and take like a one-year deal just to keep his pay at, at what it was or maybe a little bit of a bump and then re-up with St. Louis next year? Because I don't imagine he's like itching to get out of St. Louis. The team's still trying to get a Stanley Cup. And it's not the perfect example, but we saw something sort of like this with San Jose and Kevin LeBanc last summer, right? Where they were kind of up against the cap. He, I believe was an RFA at the time, but going into UFA and he signed a one year, $1 million deal less than he would have made in any other circumstance to get his payday this summer, which is now going to be complicated for a whole bunch of other reasons. But it's just going to be interesting to see a guy like Petrangelo who you'd think would be motivated to want to stay where he is or a guy like Taylor Hall who is in a position to really chase money or, or situation wherever he wants to do. And you've got wild cards of how do you balance taking a one or a two-year deal to just stay where you are, to, to stay happy with cashing in with a team that maybe beforehand you didn't think about being on your radar because of the economic situation. I, I can't imagine a cap falling. I, I, I have to believe that they'll have to keep it steady. But just that that whole dynamic of could could teams that would not be in the market for these players before now suddenly, just by circumstance, be big players for big free agents this summer? Yeah, suddenly they have more leverage, you would think. It'll be interesting to see play out and, and see how much – each individual player values going with a contender. Do they take more of a discount or less term to go with a contender? Or um, is the money the most valuable thing to them? Because most of the teams with cap space, I'd say Colorado is the rare exception where they have cap space and are still a contender. Um, most of the teams with tons of cap space are your, your full-blown rebuilds like New Jersey and Ottawa and L.A., those are the teams now. Columbus is kind of an interesting one because they've shown that they can stay in the mix 
um, without big spending. I mean, they did so, so fantastic this season or, you know, the 85% of this season. Now, are more teams open to signing with them because they will have the space and the hunger to sign. You know, they, they were definitely in on some guys um, last off season and missed out because, you know, the city's a bit of a smaller market, doesn't have the, the showtime kind of reputation that some of the other markets have. And, and I wonder if a, a team like Columbus, because they have cap space and are, and are decent could get in the mix this summer when uh, another summer they might get priced out. It reminds me, yeah, these are all hypotheticals. It reminds me yeah. so much of the first lockout where, oh my God, you come back and Edmonton is getting Chris Pronger. <laughs> like that would never have happened before, right? It took really special circumstances for something like that to happen. And there's all, that's part of what is making, keeping us entertained, I think, during this time is all the possibilities. We can go over anything that might happen with knowing that nobody knows what the end result is going to be here. And one of these things you you wrote about too is the possibility of compliance buyouts. Um, and that, you know, wouldn't obviously just apply to teams that are bumping up against the cap, although there are a lot of those, but anybody who wants to get under out from underneath uh, a contract, a bad contract. And there's a precedent too. We've seen a couple of compliance buyout periods where, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the rule was you paid a guy two thirds of his remaining salary over twice the remaining length but it would not cost any cap penalty to the team that bought him out at all, which is different than your current yearly buyouts. Um, and then that could change the whole um, market as well if you're if you're even allowed to do that. And you touched on 11 guys who could be potential buyouts. Just kind of hit on some of those and how those teams could change. And, and if there was anybody that you thought about putting on that list that didn't make the cut. Yeah, I could have expanded the list, but I thought those were a solid group of 11 and um, it, within some of the write-ups, I touch on some of the other guys on the same team that, that could be in the conversation. But, you know, last time the compliance buy was used, 28 guys got bought out over the course of two summers. Of course, that was you know, agreed upon by the league and the players association. So everyone would have to sign off on this, but according to Brian Burke, it's actually already been discussed at the league level, you know, just preliminary stages and hypothetical at this point, like everything is, but because like you said, there's precedent, I could see it happening. You know, at the top of my list was Louis Erickson, who has two more years at a $6 million cap hit. And I just think the Canucks are, kind of primed to actually take advantage of such a an out if one becomes available um you know it's nice that erickson's found a way to contribute to this team but it's definitely not at the six million dollar level and they're right up against it with young players that are going to need raises over the coming years they've already kind of shown their hand to be all in by spending draft picks and wanting to get back in the playoffs and, and back to that contender status they're going to have to pay jacob markstrom um, they have another number of free agents coming up like chris tanev and josh levo levo tyler Tofoli. Uh, if he's not a rental, Jake for tannins rfa so there's more expenses coming towards this team and if if the cap is indeed flat or, or even a minimal bump, they're going to be up against it again. You know, that they've already felt the wrath of Roberto Luongo's cap recapture penalty. <laughs> and 
no team seems to be screaming out more for a get out of jail free card than the Canucks with Louis Erickson. And that would just alleviate a lot of headaches. So uh, he was the one I mentioned off top, but there's several more, you know, Brent Seabrook uh, is injured right now, but he seems to be recovering pretty well from uh, his shoulder surgeries because he was doing the push-up challenge and showed a video <laughs> of himself. So, Cause you can't buy out an injured player, but he, he's, he's starting to look pretty fit these days. So um, of course he, he was an overpay. I think it most, you know, critics would say right from the moment he signed his extension, it was more of a loyalty deal with Chicago because he was so instrumental in, in bringing them championships during their, their little mini dynasty there. But he as well, you know, would be a kind of a great guy to get off the books. He's been healthy scratched at times, you know, he's just, he's just not the player he used to be. And, you know, he's kind of a, a bigger name and a champion, but the last time, um, the compliance buyout was allowed to be used. There are plenty like household type name guys that were given, given the boot because of this, like Brisgaloff, Thomas Caberlet, Scott Gomez, Brad Richards, like some pretty respected veterans. So um, that would give the, the Blackhawks quite a, quite a bit of leeway to, again, sign those guys that are coming off their entry level deals and, and help with the, the turnover to, to the younger talent. Um, Milan Lucic and James Neal, you know, they got traded for each other last summer as a sort of, uh, I'll trade my problem contract for yours. Uh, neither one of them uh, are living up to, to what they're getting paid and both those Alberta teams want to contend. So those are a few of the examples of guys that I think would, would fall into that that category. Um, another one I've heard people say that I didn't put on is Jeff Skinner in Buffalo. You know, I was wondering uh, about it, that one. Yeah, it's a, bad, it's a bad contract. It absolutely, and I think it it's it's kind of been made worse by just uh, his, how he's under delivered. I I just think that would be a hard one to to admit to yeah. saying you know what it doesn't work just because he's still quite young, you know, I think he's 27, 28, he's still under 30. And if you look over his career, he has up and down years, years where he's, you know, he got 40 goals, but or years where he's in the 30s, and then years where he drops off, and he's kind of erratic, it would be really early in the process, I think, to give up on a scoring winger who's still in his his 20s. So I, I didn't put him on. And uh, another reason why I didn't put him on is I think Kyle Ocpozo in Buffalo is probably a worse contract, not as much money, but he's now a bottom six player with, with a really high cap hit of 6 million. And, and there's three more years beyond this one on his deal. And um, I, I, I per, per personally love the guy in, in, in my few dealings with him. I think he's an honest guy, great interview. Um, you know, he's beloved by teammates. It's just, he's had a string of concussions and other injuries and he's, he's just not the player that he's getting paid to be. So, um, one of, one of the guys that I, I would find really interesting though, that was a recent signing, same, same day as Jeff or same summer as Jeff Skinner basically was is Sergei Bobrovsky. I wonder if Florida's having uh, instant regrets or, you know, second guessing, giving so much money to a goalie who's actually put up worse numbers than his backup. Uh, although yeah, just, I, I'm sure, I'm sure you're very familiar with that. Ryan. Yeah. Very familiar <laughs> with that one. Um, I, just before we move on, Ryan, I just wanted to like on the Buffalo stuff, it's it, what is really interesting. We're talking about precedent. I mean, the last time you had these buyouts, the Sabres, the Pagulas, bought out two players they gave big contracts to, Billy Leno and Christian Arahoff, right? And those yep. were, I think, still pretty 
relatively pretty early pretty fresh on. yeah yeah and, absolutely and so they just you know they cut bait pretty pretty quickly paid them big money to get out from under those contracts and you just wonder with everything that was going on in buffalo this year before the, the the pause i mean the fans were starting to boo you had the famous Dwayne call into the radio local radio station yeah. there where he's losing his mind i mean sabers fans are just done with this rebuild that's just, just not ending and so you do wonder even though it would be hard to swallow i mean it it the, again the precedent is there that the bakulas might just say look if it's not working we need to we need to find some way to make this thing start to work and and the only way you're going to figure that out outside of drafting well is freeing up cap space so it's going to be a dilemma one way or the other yeah well and, and just to kind of play devil's advocate the only other th- the thing the reason for not you know using them if you're buffalo is that cap space isn't a huge huge issue with that team i mean they have right. a lot of problems but cap space isn't one of them they actually have like a ton of uh free agents coming up and, and mo- several of them will be off the books if they don't want to re-sign them so they're not as forced um by by their cap by the cap ceiling as say vancouver is but yeah something has to happen there i mean if if and you know in my mind it's already done but if they make miss the playoffs this year that'll be nine seasons in a row and the all-time record for um playoff drought is 10. so i understand where where Dwayne is coming from (laughs) Uh, the the breakout star of uh hockey radio 1920. Uh, what i remember actually from the compliance buyouts last time if i I think my memory is not failing me here is that they originally were going to allow teams to buy them out in the summer. We came back in January for the shortened schedule and they were going to buy them out in the summer. And then everyone, because as Luke mentioned, you can't buy guys out when they're injured. You know, everyone was all of a sudden telling guys don't show up. You're not going to play because they didn't want them to play and get injured and then thus not be able to buy them out. So all of a sudden there was a mad scramble to, uh, you know, like the Scott Gomez's of the world were suddenly set free and signing in in San Jose before our 48 game schedule. So that was another wrinkle from uh, from last time that made it even crazier. All right, we'll pivot from guys on bloated contracts to guys just coming into the league. Luke, you were writing about a a prospect in the Leaf system that not as many people are are chatting about. Uh, Mikhail Abramov. Why don't you give us a little bit of uh, of his story and talk about why he's become a real riser since the 2019 draft. Yeah. I mean, the, the 2019 draft was supposed to not be a good one for the Maple Leafs. They traded away their first round pick as part of the Jake Muzzin deal to, to rent him for essentially a year and a half. I I mean, they, they come out a a bit better winners in that because they, they convinced Muzzin to resign on deadline day, but um, you know, they didn't even have a pick until the second round and Kyle Dubas appears to have knocked that one out of the park with Nick Robertson, who led the entire OHL in goals over 50 goals. Um, And uh, the general manager definitely has a type. He likes these small, super skilled playmaking forwards. Um, They didn't have a third rounder either. Uh, I believe that was part of getting rid of Patrick Marlowe's contract. So they they didn't pick again until the fourth round and they got Mikhail Abramov, uh, this Russian kid who didn't come over to this side of the ocean until the beginning of last, last year. And his coach, 
in Victoriaville basically said, this guy's always going to have way more assists than goals. He's a playmaker. He's not a shooter. Well, the guy went out and got 35 goals in 63 games and absolutely lit it up. Uh, his shooting percentage went up, but also he was taking way more shots and just really worked on his shot over the summer and became a, a double threat in terms of being able to set guys up uh, as well as, as well as put the puck in the net himself. And and what really stood out to me when kind of going over his season was just how much more dominant he was offensively compared to everyone else on his team. So he got 76 points. And the next most productive guy on his team was a defenseman, Jerome Gravel, who had 41 points. So that's like a 35-point difference. Um, just kind of speaks for itself in terms of how this guy took over and drove offense. Um, and out of that draft class, he earned uh, an entry-level deal, um, I guess maybe, maybe it was three, four weeks ago now, Dubas signed him. So besides Robertson, he was, he was the second of that Leafs class to actually put put pen to paper and and get the uh, the franchise to commit to him financially. So a uh, heck of a season. I mean, if you look up pictures of this guy, he's I, I think he's eighteen, but he he looks like he's like twelve. Like he just looks like this tiny tiny little guy um, with a baby face, but uh, really came into his own. And the fact that you know it's only his second season playing on the small ice and you know getting used to a whole new culture in quebec and everything coming from russia uh you know you just kind of gets the imagination running a bit about uh what the ceiling for this guy is um of course the knock on him as almost every leafs <laughs> forward prospect is that he's not a big guy he's small um, sure so but the thing is they have so many playmaking wingers that they can wait till you know, two, three years, let this kid bulk up, play in the juniors, mm -hmm. get him in the Marlies, take their time and, and let him develop uh, and hope and improve his uh, two-way game as well. So, I mean, you mentioned Robertson. You go back to 2018, the first draft that Kyle Dubas oversaw. They get Rasmus Sandin at 29th overall, already looking like a great pick. I think you've got to give uh, Mr. Dubas some credit for how he has handled the, the first two drafts, I mean, there since he came in on the job, it's been all talk about these enormous contracts and trying to, whether it's getting John Tavares as a UFA or trying to bring Mitch Marner or William Nylander into the fold, and he's taken his dings on that end. But man, um, at this particular moment, it sure looks like he's done a nice job overseeing the past two drafts. Absolutely. And uh, the best thing about Sandine was he traded down to get him. And I remember this amazing gift going around of Dubas on the draft floor, just having this devilish smile as he trades down, knowing full well who he's going to pick. Because, of course, uh, Sandine played in the Sioux and he was really familiar with them. And, you know, he, he's had his bumps in his call up. But, you know, for a teenager to get called up and, and be trusted with with fairly big minutes when the Leafs got hit with all those injuries to the left side in particular with with Muzzin and Riley being out at the same time and the way the other like full-time Maple Leafs speak of Sandine and how mature he is and that they've been blown away by uh, his poise with the puck and his professionalism and his work ethic and all those all those things um, you know yeah it, it definitely speaks to 
to Dubas's ability to, to make picks. I mean, whenever he gets asked about his regrets, Dubas always turns to how he handled the Nylander contract. And, you know, I, I'm sure he second guesses how smoothly the the Marner contract went or if there was a way to to get squeeze an extra year out of the Matthews deal and, and those those type of negotiation things. You know, people can argue that maybe he they would have fared better if Lou was running those. But uh, in terms of the draft floor, his his track record's pretty good so far in, in the short sample size. Well, we know uh, entry-level deals are going to be critical for this team because they do have so much money uh, committed to those big guns. All right, Luke, we will let you get back to being a uh, part-time teacher at the kitchen table. (laughs) All right. Stay safe, gentlemen. Stay safe. All right, that was Sportsnet's Luke Fox. Thanks so much to Luke for joining us today. Thanks to Rory Boylan, my awesome co-host. Thanks to Michael Mayers for stepping in and producing this pod. We will be back next week with more Tape to Table. Won't lie to you, friends. We're figuring it out on the fly here, but we've got all kinds of ideas for stuff you'll be interested in listening to. And, of course, we're staying on top of any news that presents itself. So follow Rory on Twitter, at Rory Boylan. Myself, at Dixon on Sports. Check out sportsnet.ca for everything we're still doing there. And come back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on Tape to Tape.